0: Turn in your copy of God's word tonight to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we are at the end, verses 23 through 29. Galatians 3 23 through 29. Marching through this chapter, we've already covered so many things and great theology. It's kind of, we're getting to the climax or the end of the chapter here. So, for those of you just visiting tonight, let's trust that you will get something as we build this together and bring this last section tonight. A simple title for the message Imprisoned Until Faith. Imprisoned Until Faith. The text reads this way Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian, or you could say tutor, or some say schoolmaster, something like this, we'll talk about it, our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under this guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to promise. Now, the law is good when it is used lawfully. When addressing, there's two instances or two ways I present the text tonight, but when addressing pre-conversion, so how do we use the law on a person before they are converted? Well, the purpose of the law in that case is to expose their sin, to show them their plight. Why? So that it would drive them to Christ, because that's the only way they could be set free. So the purpose of the law would be to condemn, to beat down, to say, guilty, 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 guilty. And then the person could say, I need help. They could be driven to Christ. Now, in the book, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, John Bunyan, great Puritan there, you'll remember this account, a short account, but let me remind you of it. Evangelist said, do you see yon wicked gate? Wicked meaning narrow or small. Yea, I think I see it go to the gate. But on the path, he meets with Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Mr. Worldly Wise Man says, no, 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 you don't need to go that way. I got a better way. Go over here towards that mountain where Mr. Legality lives and his son's civility. And they know how to get rid of burdens over there. And so he goes out of the way. Right, He goes out of the way and he goes over there and it, the mountain seems so much bigger now and it seems like it's going to fall upon his head. And Christian says, when he's there under Mount Sinai, he says, quote, It hangs such so much over him that he was afraid to venture further, lest the hill should fall on his head, wherefore there stood he still. He loved the old language. And he wot not what to do. He didn't know what to do. Also his burden now seemed heavier to him than when he was in the way. And then there came flashes of fire out of the hill. And it made Christian afraid that he should be burned. He therefore sweat and did quake for fear. The law brought all of this up in his heart, all this fear and trembling, and I'm about to die. And so it's at that moment in this sphere that the law produces in him pre-conversion that evangelist comes back on the scene. Brother, what are you doing over here? Uh, well, this guy, you know, I'll make the story short. I told you to go to Wicked Gate. You have to go there. You have to go through that narrow door to have your burden eased. The purpose of the law in this condition was to make him so fearful, to make him tremble so greatly that he thought he was going to end up in the very gates of hell right then. And it would drive him to say, is there any other way? That's a right use of the law pre-conversion. Okay. Secondly, A right use of the law post-conversion. I will give you one more story. I don't know if Bunyan intended this, but I intend it. In Pilgrim's Progress, way later in the book, you have Christian walking with a man named Hopeful. They're walking down a path, and it's difficult. Now they're Christian. This is post-conversion. They're Christian. They're walking down a path. It's hard. There's another path right beside their path. And it looks much easier, it's much smoother, and it's going the same direction. And they go off the main path, this narrow path, they go on this other path. They end up in a place called Doubting Castle. And there in Doubting Castle, they find themselves in the dregs of a dungeon under the captivity of this, uh, I just went blank. Giant despair. And giant despair comes in every day and beats the ever-living daylights out of them. He beats the smack out of them. There they are in this dungeon, every day being beaten to the point they're ready to die. Great de- giant despair says, look at all these bones, all these dead people. You would be better off to commit suicide. That's what he tells them. And Christian and hopeful actually contemplate suicide for a moment, wondering whether it would be better since it's so bad just to kill themselves. That's their situation. Why? They have gone off the path, and now, because they're not walking in obedience with the Lord, it's like the law of God, the justice of God, has brought this situation in which they are in absolute despair. What shall we do? I'll tell you the rest of the story later. Now tonight, we see verse 23. And I say the thesis is very, very short tonight. Faith. Faith is the key that unlocks the prison door. Unto salvation and to whatever you're going through this day right now that you're in bondage to or difficulty with. The only way out, it's not psychotropic drugs, it's not antidepressants, the only way out of your situation is faith. That's it. It's the only way for the door to open. Nothing else will open the door. So before faith came, verse 23, theologically, I make a couple of statements. No one possesses faith from birth. Faith has to come. Faith has to be given. I would say this to you as well. Without faith, the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible. You cannot please God without faith. Thus, before faith. What is the condition of every individual on the globe before faith? Well, our text Tells us, and it says that we were held captive. We are kept under guard. We're held in custody. We are detained. We are confined. We're held in that position. This terminology is consistent. With that era of the Roman Empire when they used prisons to hold people until their cases were tried. They can't get out, they're locked up and held until their case is to be heard. The law, like a warden in the prison, hangs over them and continues to beat them down every day. Think of the prison system. Think of the warden, think of the jailers, and every day they're condemning the prisoners. Lawbreaker, lawbreaker, pedophile, pedophile. this, that, and the other, all these accusations. It's a very immoral, unhealthy place to be, and prisoners, maybe justly, but they feel condemned because they are. And they're held in custody there. Some serving life sentences, not knowing if they're ever going to get out. And all the degradation that goes on in the prison every day is just no hope, no life, no purpose, no direction, sadness. I go to jail every week and talk to Brandy. I see others that are there. And there's no joy. There's no life. There's no rejoicing. Nobody's laughing because it's all condemnation. They're in prison. They're being held there. And Every time we attempt to obey the law to gain our freedom, fail, 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 fail. I just can't keep God's law. I, just, I try to do better every day, and I just keep failing. And you will always fail if the law is your warden. And we're imprisoned. You see it there in the text. After he says held captive, he says imprisoned. To confine in a specific limit. In prison. The law held us captive in the past. And it continues to hold them in prison. This condition of imprisonment remains until. Until. So it can remain till you're seven. Twelve. 20 40 50 68 86 but you're held there no matter what you do until faith comes that's where you're held and you can't get out no matter how hard you try until faith comes and changes your situation and so here in our text he says this until the coming faith The coming faith, an interesting Greek word, it's about to, it's inevitable, it's destined to happen. This this faith must come and come to your life and change everything. It is the will of God and it is inevitable that faith will come. It seems that here in this text, this is my, my understanding of the text, but it seems like here faith is personified. You think about Old Testament, you say, until faith came... All of our faith is bound up in Christ. In the fullness of time, even in this book, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. All of our faith is derived from Christ. He's the giver of faith. And this faith was destined to arrive. This person, Christ, was predestined to come and to be a substitute for sinners and to bear your sins on Calvary and to rise from the dead on the third day. Herein lies all of our faith. Give me Christ. Give me Christ because I've done everything I can do and I'm just condemned. I need something outside of me for help. Show me Christ. Until he comes, Christ is the object of faith for the Old Testament saints. Christ is the revealed object for the New Testament saints, and Christ is the one whom we today believe in by faith. He says it's inevitable he would come, at the end of verse 23, that he would be revealed to cause something to be fully known, to disclose, to bring the light. Christ is the full revelation of perfect redemption. He's the full revelation of the perfect law keeper. He's the full revelation of the burden remover. He's the full revelation of the promise that unlocks every door. Now, don't get lost here. You know, of you say, well, I'm already saved. I understand a lot of you're saved. I know that, and I'm just a joy to walk with you. But also know that many of us, we feel like we keep blowing it and we're failures, and we keep coming up short, and I'm not a very good Christian, and I didn't do this well enough, and I didn't do that well enough, and we get in this trap where we just feel like we're losers. And it's like, use the law rightly. What does the promise say? I am a saint. I am a child. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. That's the promise. The way out of despair and self-condemnation, because I didn't live up to something, is to look into Christ, who is my righteousness. I know I sin, but Christ is my righteousness. I'm clothed with His righteousness. I have to preach that to myself to remind me of who I am in Christ. Verses 24 through 26, bound until Christ. So, all of verse 23, and then the beginning of verse 24, for this reason. So then, therefore, since we are bound and imprisoned, the law became our guardian. So then, because we're in this condition of imprisonment, the law is our God, guardian. Uh, Pedagogos uh, is the Greek word. It's one who has the responsibility for someone who needs guidance. But you may have misunderstood this word in the past. I don't know how it's been taught to you. I don't like the word schoolmaster because that's not the implication of this word. You have a guy who owns some slaves, and this guy has kids, and these kids got to go to school. So he would make the slave take the kids to school. If the kids misbehaved on the way, the slave would discipline them. If they got in trouble while they were at school, the slave would discipline them. And usually it was most severe. It was very, so in other words, as the slave is taking the kid to school, the kid has a great fear of the one who's taking him because this guardian is not very nice. And so when he did discipline, he didn't do it with love. He didn't do it with mercy. It's not his kid. He's just like, you act up again, I'm going to slap you upside the back of the head. What well, the kid has a fear of this one that is transporting him back and forth, and so he's living in fear every day. That is what the law does. It gives us that fear. Boy, if I mess up, whack. I mess up, whack. Mess up, whack. It's like So I live in this bondage under this law-breaking. Well, Paul evaluates the Mosaic Law as uh, this word, this pedagogy, where the emphasis on the, it's a constrictive function of the law in contrast to freedom. Law, constrictive. Law, narrow, binding, condemning. That's in contrast to absolute freedom. That's what he does. In the figure used here, This guardian is the man that's having this fear upon this student. He's escorting back and forth. Now, the law, in a sense, doesn't drive us to the schoolhouse, but rather the law drives us to Christ. That's the purpose of it. If there was no law, you would convince yourself you're good. If there was no law, all you would do is something like this. Well, I'm better than them people, and I'm better than those people, so I must be all right. The law comes in and said, you told a lie, and you're a liar. The law comes in and says, you took that, and you're a thief. The law comes in and says, you don't honor the Lord on his day. You're a Sabbath breaker, and you're an idolater, and you're a rebel that does not honor your mother and your father. You're a coveter at heart. You're an adulterer at heart, and you are wicked. That's what the law says. You say, I thought I was pretty good until the law came. And I find out I'm not near as good as I thought I was. And the law can discipline severely. The law in the law there's no mercy. No mercy. It doesn't offer mercy. It was never intended to offer mercy. The law becomes like this huge mountain with thunder and lightning and clouds and tempests and threatenings of judgment, 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 judgment. You must stand before God. You're condemned. You're guilty. That's what the law does. The only right response to the law is to look to someone else who can save? can't save myself, so I must find help in another. The purpose purpose of this guardian is that we might be justified by faith. Christ gets all glory for it. The law leads us to believe someone besides ourselves. It's telling us to trust someone else or be forever condemned. This this is what the law here, I want you to stop looking in the mirror. I mean, look in the mirror. It's like the law condemns us, and we condemn ourselves, and we're double condemned. I want you to look outside, away from yourself, unto another. That's what the law is driving you to do. If you keep trying to keep everything laid out in the law, you will never succeed. The reason, the contrast here, but now... Faith having come, there in verse 25, but now that faith has come. Read the good news there. We are no longer under a guardian. We're not under that anymore. The situation's all changed. The law cannot condemn you any longer. You can't be condemned by the law the law is not your guardian leading you to christ for salvation rather the law is now devoid of its power to condemn you now, i think i can't help but see romans 8 somewhere in here who is it that condemns who brings the charge against god's elect it's christ who justifies So we're not under that. I don't live under condemnation. No, Now there's no longer any condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's another Romans passage. The reason a guardian is no longer needed, verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, we're all sons of God. I, I don't need a guardian. I have a father. I have a father who loves, has mercy, compassion, and kindness. I don't need the law to guide me anymore, I'm in that sense of this condemnation. I'm now a child, a son. <laughs> Faith secures our adoption. You're trying to adopt a child. Imagine that little baby one day realizing that you adopted that baby and made that baby your own. And you give your life for that child, I believe, right? It's, Christ gave his life for us. We've been adopted. We are a part of this family. We've got a new father, we've got a glorious Savior, and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who has sealed us unto the day of redemption. I don't need anyone to lead me to Christ for salvation. Why? I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I don't need to be led there for that. That's already happened via faith. Faith. Lastly, verses 27 through 29, baptized into Christ. You see it there in the remaining verses. Verse 27, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. To put on, to put on any kind of thing, clothe oneself, wear something. Metaphorically, very often, of the, this is the part I think it's being used here taking on the characteristics, virtues, or intentions of someone else. To put on Christ is to put on his characteristics, his virtues, his intentions. The way this word was used uh, back in the days of old, Alexander the Great, I didn't know this about him, but he liked to put on the priestly clothes of the gods, and so he would become Amon, Artemis, Hermes, Hercules, or Artemis. He would dress up like them, and it would be like them. He'd put those clothes on to play their part. It's, we put on Christ and reflect his characteristics, his intentions. True faith leads to the public profession of the ordinance of baptism. And then it's described as putting on Christ. Now, grammatically, I just want to say this because it's here. But grammatically, baptism is passive. To put on is a middle tense. Middle is something you do to yourself. Passive is something done to you. Baptism is done to you you're put under the water, you're raised up, something done to you. But to put on is something I do to myself. Think about it with regular clothes. I put them on myself. I'm doing the action for me. That's why I put on the clothes. We're all happy that we do this and we don't come to church naked, right? It's good to put on your clothes. We each individually have a responsibility To put on Christ. We do this for ourselves. We take his characteristics. We take his intentions. And we reflect him. He's the one that we put on. Like Paul said in Romans. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provisions for the flesh. To gratify their desires. Romans 13, 14. Every day we wake up and get dressed. Let us also spiritually be dressed. Let's put on Christ every day. I don't have to put on the law. I'm putting on Christ. Verse 28, you see there in the text. And this, I was tempted, and I may come back, but I'm tempted to preach this verse just as a sermon because I am so inundatedly sick with all the world's uh, inability to understand what gender is, inability to understand racial differences and issues, I don't understand how people can be so blind and ignorant to these things. Look, black, white, red, brown, Jew, Gentile, African, Chinese, Indonesian, Scandinavian, American. I don't care what name you put on it. In Christ, we are one. It's what we are in our identity. Are you better than the black person? In this sense, no. You can't. It's, no. We are people created in the image of God, and we're either in Christ or out of Christ, right? This is how we understand humanity. It's the only way to be. You're either on your way to heaven or on your way to hell. Christ, faith, faith alone eliminates all racial and gender distinctions. Let me give you a couple. I'll run through these quickly. Galatians 5, 6. In Christ Jesus, there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision that counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Romans 10 12. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on everyone who calls on him. Ephesians 3 6. The mystery is that Gentiles were Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the exact same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel or one of my favorite passages upon this subject, Colossians 3.11. Here, in this gospel-centered message about Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ, but Christ, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is the unifying factor of the family of God. As Martin Luther said, quote, without faith in him, without faith in Christ, neither shall the Jew be saved by the law, nor the monk be by his order, nor the Greek by his wisdom, nor the magistrate by his good government, nor the master by his just management, nor the slave by his obedience. And we could add, neither the Galatian by his circumcision, nor the American by his religion. It be done. Without faith, you have no chance of being right with God. Verse 29, the conclusion. You see it there in your text. And if. And that's the question, is it not? And if. You are Christ. If you are, then this is the promise. You're Abraham's offspring. And your heirs. If you're of Christ, you are present tense, the seed of Abraham. Present tense and heir according to promise. No work needed. No law-keeping required, no rules to memorize, and no condemnation to dread. Now, you remember we left Christian and hopeful in Doubting Castle having the smack beat out of them by giant despair. Okay, That's where Christians find themselves during the week a lot of times. We beat ourselves up. The law beats us up. There's a better purpose here. So as we think about them locked up under the condemnation and the dominion of giant despair, well, it was a little before daybreak on Saturday morning. And Christian gives a passionate speech. Quote, he says, What a fool am I to lie in this stinking dungeon what kind of a fool am I? When I may as well walk in liberty. He says, I have a key. I have a key in my bosom. You know what the name of the key is? Promise. <laughs> that will, he says, I'm persuaded it will unlock any door in Doubting Castle. This is so humorous. Hopeful says, well, that's good news. That's good news, good brother. Why don't you take it out and try it? As Christians, we must remember the promise and stop living in bondage. All doors, all gates, and all confinements are opened by the promise. You see, the law, pre-conversion, drives you to Christ to be saved. The law, post-conversion, drives you to Christ in order that you be reminded of the promises that are true in Him. For everyone in the room to believe Christ, you're given freedom. You do not have to live in condemnation. Yes, the law is good. Yes, it's holy. Yes, it's right. But it has not the power to condemn you anymore. Every time you feel like a failure, every time you feel condemned, look not in the mirror. Look unto Christ and find everything you need to satisfy your soul in him. I don't know who needs to hear it tonight. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. But there are mothers who beat themselves up because they don't do this with their kids, they didn't do this, or they can't keep the house clean, or some other kind of thing, and they just feel totally worthless. And there's guys in the room that feel like failures because they didn't do this, and they didn't do that, and they didn't accomplish this, and I can't never do anything right. And then we have all these kids with the same type of thing they don't perform, they didn't get A's in all their classes, they didn't do this, they didn't do this, and all these Christian confessing people feeling condemned. It's like, read your Bible. All these promises are true. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are righteous. In Christ, you are free. In Christ, everything that Christ owns, you inherit as an heir to the kingdom of God. It's all true. For everyone in Christ, come and eat and be filled. Without money, without price, come unto Christ. Father, I thank you for your church by the Word Baptist Church. I thank you for these men, women, and boys and girls here. And I pray tonight that you take these words, Holy Spirit, and that you write them upon their hearts and that they will not spend their lives in condemnation and dread and fear but they will see the beauty, the glory, the freedom that is in the gospel, and they will value Christ more every day. Lord, set them free. Help them to live this week with their heads lifted high, with their hearts lightened, with sin forgiven. May they have a spring in their step, a song upon their lips, and may they live as the light of the gospel in this world because they've been set free from every prison. Lord, help them to live with the joy of the Lord. We pray these things by your Spirit, in Christ's name. Amen.